What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to another episode of The Bustle Huddle. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and today's episode is particularly close to my heart because we're talking about something that's a little bit embarrassing for me. I'm usually very private about it, but we're going there. We're talking about dating. More specifically, how to move past the same type that you keep dating over and over again, or in my case, moving past that fairy tale that you dreamed up of that one person that you thought everything would be magical with and really, really moving on from that. So you see, I haven't been on a ton of dates over the past few years. Instead, I've just been hoping and wishing and praying for that one person. So yeah, I'll go on Tinder and I'll swipe, but for me, it's more like a game to see how many swipes I get and it makes me feel good, but I'm not really ever considering meeting anyone because it's just a game. So let's compare this to the dating life of one of Bustle's lifestyle editors, Tanya Garmani. Well, this guy says he has BDE on his profile, which definitely means he does not. This guy is an entrepreneur, which tells me nothing. Well, this guy has nothing on his profile, which definitely means if I date him, he will have nothing to say. Well, this guy's kind of cute. Okay. Oh, I think I have dated this man before. Nope. Is that LeBron James? Oh, no, it's the guy behind him. Never mind. Oh, this guy is British, so that is an automatic swipe, right? French man, newly arrived in November. Kind of lost and need a good tour guide. No. Hire someone. Oh, this guy's really cute. I love a woman with tattoos. (laughs) Bye. That's her on Tinder. After going on 122 first dates in the past couple of years, she does not mess around, clearly. But despite our completely different approach to New York's dating scene, which is probably the toughest in America, we're both stuck in her patterns that aren't really working for us So at least you're going on dates, Tanya, which is more than I can say for myself. So what's the issue here? Maybe too many dates, right? (laughs) Uh, So my issue is that I'm always going out with the same guy. Uh, Obviously, it's not the same guy specifically, but it's all the same type. Usually they are British. Usually they are on the taller side, which is easy because I'm kind of (laughs) short. Usually they have just moved to New York, uh, which is never a good sign. I've come to learn. And uh, the same thing just ends up happening over and over again, which is that they all happen to also be emotionally unavailable. That is always a fun combination. It really always is. What's your type of guy? So my type, I'd say, is like someone in the NFL. So super tall, super buff, very much prom king type. Um, But basically, the issue is that there's this one guy that has always had my heart, and I'm just thinking in, like, Disney Jada Princess way that it'll all work out magically. So does that mean that when you are trying to date, you're just trying to date guys like him? I think that I'll give other 
types of chance, but I'm always comparing in the back of my mind. And I kind of want to let that go. Definitely. So we know that you have a thing for British guys. Was there one guy who started this all for you? Actually, there was. Uh, It was probably the second first date I had ever been on in New York. So we're talking a couple years ago. And uh, he was was really tall. So he might have been good for you, Jada. He was about 6'7". That'll do. Uh, He was really tall, really nice British guy. Um, We went on about four dates. And I always felt like it ended a little bit unfinished. I mean, we never even kissed, which was a new thing for me because I'm the type of person who usually thinks if you don't kiss on the first date, how are you going to know the chemistry is there? Interesting. Uh, But he thought that that was moving too fast. So we ended up hanging out for four times. And then, you know, he said that it was a little bit too much for him. He doesn't feel like he's emotionally available and I deserve better. And thus, the cycle started. And it makes you think like, well, I'll find the British type that will be emotionally available eventually. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's as much that I'm looking for someone exactly like him because there's a reason that didn't work out, but it's definitely the qualities that he possessed. I think maybe I liked him so much that it helped me form things that I'm now attracted to in other men. So... You know what we do on this podcast, right? What do we do on this podcast? We find experts who will help us straighten out our lives on air. Great. So I have to reveal all of my dirty dating secrets. We're going to hold hands and jump into this together. On air with another human. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll jump in traffic. Let's do it. We got this. So who am I talking to? We're going to take you off the dating apps and put you in the very capable hands of Elite Daily's own Hannah Orenstein, a former professional matchmaker and author of Playing With Matches. So this is going to be new territory for me. Uh, I've always dated on apps, but I'm ready for it, I guess. You're going digi-free. So which one of us are going first? I think you're going to be up first. Host choice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. I'm down. So, Tanya, I hear you have a type. (laughs) You hear correctly. Uh, So the issue is that my type up until now has been anyone I find attractive. And as I've grown older and that hasn't really worked out for me, I've come to realize that I don't actually know what I'm looking for in a good match other than I'm physically attracted to them, they make me laugh, and they're smart. So considering you worked as a matchmaker for so long, I wanted to know, like, what did you look for whenever you were matching up two people? Mm, That's a great question. Um, So you shouldn't, like, go out with people that you don't find attractive because attraction is still obviously really, really, really important. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can really tell if you're attracted to a person based on their dating app profile because people do look different in real life. And sometimes like a person just isn't great at taking a photo, but like they're a lot more attractive to you in real life. So I would say like go out and meet people and see if there's a chemistry there. If you're like really comfortable with them, I think that's the most important thing. Like, do you feel like you can be yourself? Like, you know, not be your most polished, like super perfect, like kind of putting on a facade version of Tanya, but like Mm -hmm. the real Tanya that you are like with your friends, like with your family. 
it, that's way more important than thinking that their job is interesting to you or like their sense of humor perfectly aligns with yours. It's just like, can you be you? That's really interesting that you say that about uh, dating app profiles not really showing who a person is, uh, whether or not they take bad photos or they kind of just wrote something that you don't really mesh with, but it doesn't represent them fully. Uh, if I'm looking at dating app profiles, for instance, and I see someone who maybe I read their profile and I'm like, eh, not really. Like, how do I know who I should be giving a chance and who I shouldn't? That's a tough question. I would say, honestly, base it on your mood that day. If you are really like eager to be on dating apps, like why not? Like strike up conversation with every single person that interests you, even if you're just like, eh, like they have a cute dog in their photo, whatever. Um, other days, if you're really not feeling it, like don't pressure yourself to burn out and talk to everybody or like get a date with everybody because dating should feel fun. And if that energy isn't there, you're just not going to have a good time on your date and then that's a waste of time for everybody. So when you were setting people up, though, as working as a matchmaker, mm -hmm. you had to have noticed like red flags in some people's profiles, right? Yeah, for sure. But red flags really vary on what you're looking for. So if okay. you want somebody who is going to have like an amazing dinner with you and your friends on a Friday night, but all of their photos are just at clubs with bottle service, like that's clearly a red flag for you. But that could be, you know, a, like a green light for somebody who loves going out on the weekends to go clubbing. So it's really about what is a red flag for you? So I would think really critically about like what your lifestyle is like, like your pet peeves. Can you really not stand it when people chew really loudly or like whatever <laughs> that one thing is that like really bothers you and then know what's a problem for you as opposed to like a problem in general? I think that that should be like on all dating apps. Do, do you chew loudly or not? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's an important thing. Um, so when it comes to going on dating apps or actually going out there and meeting people in real life, do you think one is better than the other? No. I think both are great. Both are really different. I think dating apps are awesome if you are just looking to incorporate it into your daily life because you can swipe for five minutes while waiting in line for coffee in the morning. Mm -hmm. But I think that especially because most of us don't meet people in real life, if you can every once in a while try to do that, it can be really exciting and really fun. And I think it gives you a little bit, bit of an adrenaline rush that you don't typically get swiping every single day. So I think that I'm probably one of many when I say this, that since, you know, I started dating when dating apps were just becoming popular, that's all I've really used when I date. And I'm coming to find that I don't know how to actually approach guys who I find attractive or interesting in real life. Yeah. Uh, so what sort of advice, like let's say I'm at a bar and I see a guy across the bar who's really cute. I don't think right now I would feel comfortable going up to him and striking up a conversation like I would on a dating app if we matched. So what's a good way to like get over that hurdle and that nervousness? Yeah, definitely. It's hard. So two things. I would say if you're at a bar, you have a really easy opening line, which is just what are you drinking or what do you recommend I drink? Um, but also I think I, personally, I would be afraid to go up to a guy at a bar and say hi. But if you're sitting at a bar stool, uh -huh. it's really easy to turn to the person next to you. It's like nerve wracking the first time you do it. But then you find your opening line, whether it's, you know, what are you drinking? Or I just moved to the neighborhood. Do you have any like fun recommendations around here? Or a comment about whatever's playing on the TV that he's watching above the bar. And that's a little bit easier because you're in close quarters already and you don't have to make a move across the bar and go approach a total stranger. Okay. So when I match with guys on dating apps, I feel like I know a little bit of what I'm looking for um, and I know the type of person I'm attracted to. You know, it's, it's someone who 
likes to give back to the community, someone who's uh, socially aware, someone who is smart and makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, and I find, I do find guys like that, but a lot of the times the ones who I actually either develop feelings for, end up liking, are the emotionally unavailable ones. And that doesn't always work for me. So how would you, like if I was one of your clients, like how would I, how should I be approaching this? Mm. Well, the ones who are not available are always the most interesting ones because it does feel like a challenge. Yeah. But you know that you're not happy with this pattern. So I think it becomes just about you setting boundaries for yourself once you realize that this person is not really available for you or is not interested in the same kind of thing that you are, then you have to say to yourself, I respect myself enough to walk away. And maybe that just means not responding to that text or like politely rejecting them or finding another person that I can be excited about who isn't this person who isn't available to me. And sometimes whenever you find that you've started to develop feelings for someone, you don't actually realize that they're emotionally unavailable or like not looking for that relationship until the feelings have already developed. Yeah. And then it becomes so much harder to actually not respond to their text or not yeah. take that other date with them or something. Uh, so how soon is appropriate to, to ask them what they're looking for? I think it's always appropriate. I think you can do it on the first date, on the second date. If you want to wait, you know, a month or two months or three months until you feel really sure about your own feelings, that's fine. But I'm a really big advocate of just checking in and saying, mm. hey, this is what I want. I just want to know, no pressure, if that's the same thing that you want. And that way, it's not about, hey, I have a million feelings for you. Let's talk about all of them. It's just you saying, this is what I want and seeing if there's mutual interest there. That's interesting because so often I feel like women are taught not to ask those questions too early because mm -hmm. we don't want to be seen as difficult or as clingy or we don't want the guy to think that we're going to be, you know, texting them nonstop and looking to get married next week or something, right. which is, you know, never the case. It's but silly. Exactly. It's, it's definitely a double standard that we have with men and women. But uh, so you're saying throw that all away ask the question when you want to ask the question. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's possible that somebody's going to say, oh, you're so clingy. I don't want to get married tomorrow. But that's not the person that's <laughs> right for you. You want the person who's going to be like level-headed about that, say, oh, cool, awesome. Like, let's go on a date on Thursday. Mm. You know, you want the person who's going to respond to that well. And this is a really good litmus test because if they can't handle this now, what are they not going to be able to handle three months from now? That's a great point. And say, you know, I do go out with a guy who I'm, you know, attracted to and I think could be a good fit for me. Uh, what are your suggestions for, like, things that I should kind of be paying attention to on our first date to make sure I'm not falling into that cycle again of, you know, just falling for an idea of a person or being too focused on, like, oh, I find this person really, really attractive? Yeah. Um, that's such a relatable problem to fall into, I would say really focus and check in with yourself on, are you having fun? Are you comfortable? It's really easy to get caught up into the idea of like, this person checks all of my boxes and I'm really excited about who they like, quote unquote, are. But think about like, are you having a good time? Because that's really the only thing that matters. And do you have any suggestions for like, good first date ideas? Because I've heard so many different sides of this. Some people say that you should go to dinner and, you know, do the whole classic dinner and a movie thing. Some others say that's too much to dedicate to a first date. You should just grab drinks or even grab coffee so you have an easy mm -hmm. out. 
Yeah, I would avoid dinner in a movie just because dinner seems high pressure. In a movie, you don't get to talk to the person, so you're really not learning anything about them. But I think drinks are great, just a quick drink or a quick coffee. I really like, in nice weather, grabbing coffee and taking a walk around a park or like walk around a museum, anything where you're up and moving. I think people look more attractive when they're up and moving, and it, it takes the pressure off of like a face-to-face conversation, which can sometimes feel like an interview if you're not feeling really comfortable. Mm-hmm. If you're up and walking, it's really easy to be more relaxed, like talk about what's going on around you, and the pressure of eye contact isn't really there. That's a good point, yeah. When you were matchmaking, did you ever encourage your clients to go against their type? Uh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, you want to honor their type. You want to give them something that they're going to be excited about, but maybe push them a little beyond their comfort zone. So, like, if you're, if remember Queer Eye when Tan France would be like, we know that you really like colors. Like, let's get you a nice colored button down as opposed to like a neon graphic T-shirt that's disgusting. Like, you give them something they like, but like push it in a new direction. So whenever you were working with clients, was there ever a time when someone presented their type to you and you kind of had to be like, you need to be a little bit more you know, realistic, you're not going to find that perfect person? Because I feel like everyone has this idea of who they want. And if, it doesn't ma- if a human doesn't match up to that, which they never can, it can feel disappointing. Yeah, definitely. I had a client who came to me with like a six-page checklist, single-spaced checklist, <laughs> Um, with qualities for physical attributes, emotional attributes, personality types, like lifestyle habits, how much money they made, where they lived, 33 potential hobbies they could share. It was a lot. And I said to her, like, I'm not a person factory. You know, I can get you a couple things that you like, but no one person has all of these qualities. And even if you did find a person with all these qualities, there's no guarantee that you'll actually click. So... I say pick three things that are really important to you, and those are your three guiding principles. I think one of those can be a superficial principle, like they have to be this height or they have to dress really well. But beyond that, like tune out the noise and the rest of it doesn't really matter. You don't need a six-page checklist, and your six-page checklist does hold you back. <laughs> so I will toss my 12-page checklist now. <laughs> So is there some sort of like homework that I should go home with today uh, whenever I'm swiping in my dating apps or even just going to get coffee down the street? Yes. Set up three dates. Here's why. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You don't need to be obsessed with every single person you go out with, and having three takes the pressure off any individual one, and you don't know which one you're going to click with the best. So even if you don't know that you're two million percent excited about each one like one of them is going to pan out into something that's like fun and exciting and you don't know where it's going to lead 
So that's your homework, and please report back to me because I'm really excited. <laughs> I will do that. Uh, so another thing about me is uh, I am someone who has actually been on over 100 first dates in the past couple years. And an issue that I find I keep running into is knowing that I'm not clicking with someone very early on in the date, mm-hmm. but also not knowing how to how to end it early enough or even when should I stick yeah. it out and see if maybe this is going to change. Like the other person could be nervous or, you know, some something else could be happening that mm-hmm. we're not clicking that at that moment. Yeah, that's definitely real. People do get nervous, so you may not want to rule them out after like a half hour, but also your time is valuable. So if you know that this is like a total waste of your time, you can just say after one drink or one cup of coffee, hey, it was so great to meet you. I have an early morning tomorrow, so I have to head out, but thanks so much. Like, have a great night. And that's your easy out. Nobody can fault you for having a job and getting up early. That's just that would be mean. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you do think that there is like a nugget there of potential, whether that's, you know, there's just something indescribable about this person that you really like, even if maybe the conversation is a little stilted, give it a little extra time. Um, one way to sometimes like reset the conversation if it gets into a rut and feels awkward, like get up and go to the bathroom. Like come back a few minutes later and hopefully the vibe changes. Like you have that moment alone to think of something new to ask them. And then you can come back with hopefully new energy and see if the conversation picks up from there. That is so much easier than my tried and true method, which is to frantically text my friends asking them to give me a fake emergency call. So I have to (laughs) run out. That is hard. Thank you so much for being here, Hannah. Uh, This was really great, and hopefully I have good news to report back soon. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. So, Tanya, are you going to do your homework? Well, actually, Hannah told me to make three dates, and I have already made two. Great students. Thank you. let me ask you, are they British? (laughs) You know what? No, but one of them's Irish. Okay, you know, still in the in the accent range. <laughs> she told me to move s- away from my type. We're switching it up. Move to a little, a slightly different country. Right. Uh, so now, Jada, mm-hmm. it's your turn. Who is your expert? So I am super excited to be speaking with one of the founders of my very favorite app called Mend, El Huerta. She is so brilliant with heartbreak. She has the most soothing voice I've ever heard. And I'm really excited to have a one-on-one with her since I've used the app for so long. Interesting. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing what she has to tell you. Are you ready? Yes. It is too real because I've been sad Jada for the last couple of days. I'm even here in my, like, little black hoodie. No, (laughs) don't be sad, Jada. Be happy, Jada. I know. I miss happy Jada. We all miss happy Jada. So, yes, this is definitely going to be more like therapy than an interview. And to our (laughs) listeners, I apologize in advance for pouring my heart out here. Don't judge me. I hope we've all been here before. And maybe if you are here with me right now, this will help you. Hey, this is a judgment-free zone. Thank you, little pod. (laughs) Let's cut to me and El Huerta, who's joining us via Skype. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Jada. How are you? I'm doing well. It's so nice to meet you. How are you guys? Really good. So nice to meet you, too. I've definitely used men before, um, so your voice is, like, super soothing because <laughs> it's helped It's helped me through sometimes. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. I'm yeah. glad. Um, I hope you're feeling better. Ah, 
<laughs> yeah. So basically, I came to Mend originally um, maybe like a year ago because the person that I was kind of dating in that kind of like what if phase for a while ended up dating someone else and I found out about it on Instagram and it was pretty heart crushing I found out on my birthday <laughs> so I used mend yeah so the the issue that I think that I want to work on in 2019 is just kind of like letting go of that idea of things kind of working out yeah. being like hopeful that maybe we'll find our way back to each other so I wouldn't say I'm going through a breakup at all but it's just more of like finally healing the heartbreak like that healing process yeah um, well, we can definitely talk about that one-on-one -on -one session, you and me. <laughs> so I guess like one of my first questions for you would be, you know, like I said, the healing process from a recent heartbreak could be a little different from that kind of heartbreak pain that's been lingering. Is that healing process different? Yeah, between like a fresher breakup and one that's further out. Yes. Yeah. I do actually think that they're pretty different. And the reason is... When you go through a breakup, it's really physical, right? Like, um, like it's kind of like being sick. Um, your immune system is depressed. So like oftentimes you actually do end up catching a cold. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that your body is an open loop system. And so when you're in a relationship, you were connected to your partner. You know, you were sharing hormonal feedback and regulatory feedback. And so when you go through a breakup right after, you feel like you're going through withdrawal. And then as it gets further out, I don't think it necessarily becomes less painful, but the pain is a little bit different because it's not always so physical, but it's more, I feel like it moves more into your head. You're thinking more about the relationship and what you could have done differently. And it's more emotional than it is that like initial kind of physical phase where you're really kind of, you need like triage. Yeah. So I, I do think it is, it is different and it evolves over time. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like the way that I've been describing it is that it's like, I feel like my little heart got like broken, like a broken bone and then like something will happen or there'll be a reminder and it's like the bone it's trying to heal, but it maybe has like a crack in it. You know, when you like if you have a broken bone, sometimes on rainy days, it aches, especially as you get older. <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of what you're describing. Right. And that's the that's like the really bittersweet part of heartbreak, I think. And that's just being human. Like you can move forward and you can start to feel better. But there are always going to be moments where, you know, something reminds you of an ex and it can be kind of a bittersweet moment or it can just be a really sad moment and that's okay. So I do think that we can do better jobs of just being accepting of those moments. Like we are human, we have emotions, you know, and when you have a really strong connection, it's, it's not just going to disappear overnight in most cases. So what would your what would your advice be to someone who's like, okay, you know, my confidence is pretty shattered right now. I want to build it up. Like what what's your first step? Yeah. Um, one thing that I find really helpful, and I think this applies even in non-romantic situations, but I think it's really helpful to think back to times when you did feel really confident in life and to get like really specific, like close your eyes, mm. think about one of those moments and think about how it felt. 
and then think about what you were doing. Um, and usually you can come up with some times when you did feel really confident. And then I think figure out how you can invite more of that into your life. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to like look at your past. Like you were a whole person without your significant other. Yeah, I really like the thought of like going back to a particular time when you feel like you're feeling your best and you're feeling super confident. Yeah, and a lot of people say like start a new hobby or do something new and that's good too, but that doesn't always engender confidence, right? Like Yeah. Like a really bad painter and you might have fun doing it, but it might not help you boost your confidence. So that's why I think it's helpful to do both. That's a, that's so great. I love that. Yeah. And then I think on the flip side of that, um, I also read a lot that you should kind of like sit with the pain, but that always confuses me because I'm like, well, if I'm sitting with the pain and acknowledging the pain, am I dwelling on it too long? Yeah. What's the balance with that? Yeah. I, I do really believe that if you're waiting to stop feeling any pain before you can move forward or let go, then you could be waiting a really long time. It's just like, it's feeling pain as part of being human. And it's, it's the more difficult part of love, right? It's just like the other side of it. And, um, and you can't have one without the other. So, and I'm someone who loves to like wallow. Like I love to like listen to the sad music and cry. Yes. I've, that was me a couple of weeks ago, for sure. <laughs> I love to do that. And for me, I get a lot out of that emotionally. Like, it's really um, it's really cathartic to me. I feel like I, like, learn things about myself. Um, if It's really affecting your ability to just live daily life because you're, you're spending so much time just kind of cocooned at home, like, in your pajamas. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to set boundaries. And I think there are different ways you can do that. Um, one way that's really effective is actually choosing time to wallow, like give yourself an hour every day. I would say do it at the end of the day, especially if you're working, like it's kind of tough to work this in before work day. And then I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you about that affects me, but I think pretty much anyone who's going through a breakup in this digital age, what are your thoughts on social media? So I I take a really like maybe like more extreme stance on this just because I I do have so much exposure to what works and what doesn't work through men. You know, Mm -hmm. we see like thousands of thousands and thousands and thousands of breakups um, every month. And it does make it so much harder and it prolongs the healing process if you're staying connected to your ex. And staying connected can mean running into them um, and seeing them in person, but it also means seeing them on Instagram. Like your brain doesn't differentiate between like seeing a picture and seeing an update and seeing them in real life. And so I think you do have to have that in mind. So if you're, if you're asking me like what's most effective, it's giving yourself a complete break from them. And you can do that by blocking them. You can do that by hiding them. Like you don't necessarily have to block them. I think a lot of times for me, at least in the past, it's had to do with pride. Like, oh, but I don't want them to, like, know that I care that much, you know? Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I do think, like, at some point, if you're really having a difficult time moving forward and letting go, you have to let go of that pride that you have. And I've been in that place before where it's like, okay, I am still, like, triggered every time I see them online. And I'm, you know, I'm not feeling better. And 
I'm going to have to do this for myself. And I, I immediately noticed an impact. And that was, that was even before I started MEND. But now it's something that we really strongly recommend just because science backs that up. On the flip side of that, you know, like, what if you have mutual friends and your mutual friends have, you know, kind of, like you said, like they're not in the same headspace as you in terms of your breakup and they care about the both of you. How do you handle, um, you know, I know for me, like I kind of a couple of my friends I just kind of like disconnected from just because I would be thinking about that person. Um, but what do you do if you have mutual friends that care about both both parties? Yeah, this is a big one because I do feel like in most cases you end up with mutual friends, especially like the longer the relationship is. It's a it's really really difficult to navigate, and it's never easy. And a lot of times you have to have difficult conversations with people. But I do think it is really important to put yourself first and and to communicate to your friends like what your boundaries are and what you need because like we all have that friend who thinks they're being helpful by sharing like the latest on your ex like when they yeah out or like what they posted recently on Instagram that maybe you didn't see and and they think that they're being helpful but that's not helpful right and like every friend has a different life experience they've had different relationship experiences they were raised by different parents and they will treat your breakup differently. And so because of that, like you're in charge, like you have to communicate how you want them to act, like what information you want them to share or not share. And I think that if you do that early on, it saves you from so much heartbreak. And so I do think it is really important to just give people a heads up, like, hey, I don't want to hear anything about my ex. And like, you know, if you see them, like, please don't tell me. So also in terms of dating, should you wait to start dating until your heart is healed somewhat or completely? Is there like a point where um, dating is something that could help with the healing process or should you jump right in? Should you wait? Yeah. So I think that if you're dating and it's the purpose of it is 100% just a distraction, then it's probably not going to be healthy because you, Mm -hmm. and I think so many of us have experienced this, but you like keep yourself busy, you go on dates, the dates don't go well, and you come back and you feel worse than you did before, right? And so, and that happens when you're not really ready. You're not really ready to like meet someone new. You're still really comparing everyone to your ex. And there's some level of that that's that's always going to happen in the early phases after a breakup. But if it's like 100% <laughs> distraction, I would say wait. But with that said, I do feel like if you feel like you're ready to experiment, you're ready to give it a try, it's kind of like trial and error because your heart is constantly evolving. Like, I don't think there's a moment in your life where you're like, oh, you know what? I am 100% healed. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not the case for anything, right? Like, yeah, we'd love yeah. to be that black and white, but it's just not true in most cases. So I think instead of having like a black and white approach of like, oh, I'm ready or I'm not ready. um, I think that you have to try it out. You know, you go on a date and you see how it makes you feel. And if it makes you feel way worse than you felt before, then it's probably too early, you know, and that's okay. Like you can always decide to stop dating. Um, 
you know, one thing that comes up for a lot of people and I get asked about this is like, oh, well, is it fair for me to, you know, go on dates when I'm not like totally over my ex? And right. Like, honestly, that's the majority of people, right? If that were the case, like no one would be on Bumble. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Uh, You know, I think dating is part of the healing process. And, you know, there's not going to be a sign in the sky that's like, okay, you are good to go. I love that idea of like, it being trial and error. So it's like, you can always jump back in or you can take a break. And that's totally fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And again, like what you said about like things being like trial and error. Yeah, it's a lot less pressure if you think about it that way. Yeah, I mean, mending is not a linear process. People would love it to be linear, but it's not just like a lot of stuff in life, you know. Two more questions for you. So I think one of the things that I've been dealing with and I wanted to bring up on the podcast because I think a lot of other women at Bustle might feel the same way is this like guilt over your heartbreak. So last year I started working at Bustle. It's been amazing. I am so happy here. Like I actually would tell people that like Bustle is my new boyfriend. I'm like, she's so, he's so amazing. He treats me well and it makes me happy. (laughs) But, um, but at the same time, like I, like I'm still like upset about a heartbreak over a guy um how do you deal with that guilt of like you know everything else is going perfectly in the way that you you would want your life to go but you're still kind of sad because your your um your heart is broken like how do you how do you deal with that guilt yeah I think that's a big one because I think that we don't always assign like we're so obsessed I feel like as a culture with like accomplishments and with work and all these external things. And, you know, when it really comes down to it, for most people, loving someone and being loved is like at the core of what they really want in life. Like when it really comes down to it. And uh, there's a a Fred Rogers quote that I'm going to butcher, but it's like, Mm -hmm. love is at the center of everything, Mm -hmm. either love or the absence of it. And so I think it's good to remind yourself of that. Like, you're human. Yeah, that really helps. That helps so much because I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm like, I must sound so annoying considering that everything else is going so well. But that's true. Just kind of cutting yourself some slack. Um, And then Valentine's Day. So Valentine's Day is on the horizon. It can be really hard for people going through a a breakup. I'm such a romantic at heart that, like, even here, they call me a Disney princess because it's like I just always love love, but I'm not looking forward to Valentine's Day. And it's like one of my favorite days. Um, but what are your tips for like celebrating the holiday um, where you're not like at home with a pint of ice cream by yourself? Yeah. So I well, first of all, can I ask you what like what are your plans for Valentine's Day? Do you have any? I don't. I usually will. Um, like usually, my my Valentine is my mom. So we'll like you know just get like a cute little like drugstore candy box for each other and um, maybe see a movie. But that's usually what I do. But yeah. this year, like I don't even have the like. If Valentine's Day was tomorrow, I wouldn't even want to do that. <laughs> I would just want to go home. Yeah, I understand that completely. So for you specifically, I would say make a plan, even if you don't want to. Like just. Give yourself something to do and try to do it with friends or your mom, but really like have something to do that day so that you're not alone that day. I think that's really important. And then I think the other thing that's really helpful to do, and I do this every year, whether I'm 
heartbroken or like I'm, you know, single this year on Valentine's Day, a really helpful exercise. And you can do this just in your head or you can do it in a journal. But think about all the other types of love that you have in your life, non-romantic love, and actually name those people. And think about like all of the people because we get so hung up on this one person who doesn't want to be with us or doesn't love us. But there are so many people in your life who love you, who've loved you unconditionally, who've been there for you. I think it's the same with different types of love. I love that advice because, like I said, I do love, I really like Valentine's Day. So I like the idea of maybe thinking ahead and just kind of reclaiming it. That sounds like something that I can do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. Of course. It's my pleasure. I hope you have a good Valentine's Day. I'll be thinking about you on Valentine's Day. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. All right. Bye. Bye. So Jada, how is your chat with Elle? Are you happy Jada now? So I think sad Jada has kind of transitioned into melancholy Jada. So like not super happy, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So you're getting there. Getting there. Elle was amazing. She... It was just really cool to like have someone on one time with her since I hear her voice all the time on the app and she's just so lovely. Thank you so much, Elle. You were amazing. She gave you homework too, right? Yes, she did. Great. So my I wasn't the only one. No, we're <laughs> we're in this together. Um yeah, so my homework is to figure out, even though Valentine's Day to me seems so sad and I don't want to think about it, even though it is one of my favorite days of the year. My homework assignment is to figure out what I want to do on Valentine's Day, to just come up with a plan, see what what I think would be fun at this stage, and to set it up now so that I can really think about it and have my best Valentine's Day. That sounds great. And you know, a good thing to keep in mind about Valentine's Day whenever you feel sad about it is that the day after Valentine's Day, you get half-priced candy. Oh, yes. That's really smart. And we're surrounded by places where we can get candy. Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you feel sad, just remember February 15th. That's something to look forward to. Half price chocolate. Woohoo. So to wrap things up, we couldn't do an episode on dating without Bustle's own expert, Michelle Tolia. You mean who I want to be when I grow up? Seriously, she's goals. Michelle, you are goals. So she dropped by to give us her forecast on dating in 2019. All of the trends that we need to look out for and how we'll be using apps differently if people are using them differently. Let's hear what she has to say. I think coming off of 2018, where people were trying to find solace post Me Too and this tumultuous uh, political environment, I think in 2019, we're going to see much more empowered and mindful dating. Um, I think this last year, people were angry, refusing to put up with toxic behavior. And I think this year, that'll translate into people really taking action and more, much more offline dating. I think dating apps have been around for five years now at least. And I think that people see that haven't been seeing success on them are just going to leave. I think the burnout will sort of have reached this point where people just aren't going to put up with it. Um, and I think those that are still on dating apps, I think they're going to be moving off the app much quicker in terms of when they um, want to meet someone. And just generally, I think they'll be way more mindful of who they're choosing to meet and who they're choosing to talk to on the app. 
I think sober dating too um, is really going to be popular this year. Sober curiosity in general is a really big thing right now. And I think, you know, we're still in this time of like mindfulness and self-care. And I think this is like another element to it. And I definitely think it'll translate over into dating. Um, There's a new app called Lucid, which is sort of this sober community. And they have a dating platform on there as well. Um, So I think we'll see people using that. I think too, there's a pop-up bar right now in Brooklyn called Listen, which is uh, an alcohol-free bar. And it's like open till 4 a.m. And like a great date spot. And finally, if you are still on dating apps, I think there's a lot of really great things to look forward to. Bumble just launched prompts that are sort of similar to Hinge's questions. So these are 20 new conversation starters. Um, so this will definitely move away from the like swipe, swipe, hey, how's it going? Conversations on the apps. And I think will definitely lead to more meaningful conversations. The Bustle Huddle is produced by Anna Parsons and Michaela Heck with help and love from Roseanne Salvatore. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely leave us reviews on iTunes because we'd love to hear your feedback. You can also reach us at huddle at bustle.com. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and I will see you next week. <laughs>